Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple. Sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world, your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at Trility.io. This episode continues a series focused on how technology can improve the lives of our aging population and those in our population who require long-term care. In particular, we focus on the use of monitoring and remote monitoring technology solutions using the Internet of Things or Connected Things technologies while also ensuring purposeful, comprehensive privacy and information security practices along the way. Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us today. So, um, Brent, you are the president and CEO of the Iowa Healthcare Association, and we're here to learn from you. Um, that's the summary. So thank you for being with us today. What we'd like you to do is start off by teaching us uh, about your organization, your products, services, where you've been, where you're heading. Teach us. And I know there's a whole lot to that, but you probably have a practiced um, message that you could pass along just to teach us about your house and your vision, your future. Please and thank you, sir. Matthew, thank you for the opportunity to to come on and, and talk with you. Um, you know, I, I'm privileged to to help uh, lead an organization called the Iowa Healthcare Association. What we are is a association of healthcare providers that work in the long-term care uh, healthcare space. That means um, providers of skilled nursing care, assisted living care, uh, home care, so folks receiving uh, health care in their home, uh, as well as a number of other constituency groups which participate um, in that sector. We, we tend to call it post-acute care, so really anything that happens after the hospital. Uh, the hospital and the, and the, the, uh, the docs uh, take care of you when you are, you are acutely ill and need immediate service. We're there uh, to support your uh, typically longer journey, uh, hopefully back to health, uh, but if, but also in situations that that lead to compassionate end of end of life care, uh, and so our association is uh, fairly broad in that in that sense. We're the only association in the country that represents what we call the full continuum of care, meaning uh, starting in the home, receiving uh, medical care in your home from dedicated nurses and physicians, um, through a, a a potential next step being an assisted living uh, environment where you may need some assistance with activities of daily living, um, maybe some assistance with your medication, maybe some assistance with shopping, maybe some assistance with getting around and socializing with others, and then um, into skilled nursing care, which is uh, a more uh, medically intensive model where folks uh, need medical care on a, on a regularly uh, routine basis. And so we operate in uh, all 99 counties here in Iowa and about 254 uh, cities and towns, and uh, we are a, wow. uh, a state affiliate of the American Healthcare Association, which is a national group which does a lot of what I just described. 
You having been involved in, in all of these different areas of the healthcare um, industry, all of these different facets and segments, you're probably aware of all different types of operational um, challenges that people have. A lot of forward-thinking companies are, are trying to create new technology solutions to be used in senior care, long-term living solutions or um, uh, organizations. So remote monitoring, geofencing, predictive analytics, wearables, medication management, so forth. You've probably heard all of these things and are probably doing many of them or heading there in some way, shape, or form. Are there types of technologies or innovations that are actually exciting to you today where you're like, hey, that is something we want to go explore. That's something we need to be doing yesterday. Uh, teach us about that. Yeah, no question, Matthew. You know, probably 10, 15 years ago when we were talking about innovation, technology innovations for long-term care, we were talking about, you know, how do we install ramps and onto, onto people's homes so they can get in and out of those those homes if they're in a rehabilitation situation and maybe on crutches or, or a, a wheelchair. Uh, things are obviously quite a bit different, a lot more exciting now in terms of using technology uh, to enable a better experience for folks that are going through some of the most difficult times in their life. They need long-term care. A couple things, you know, areas that I, I know my members, and, and as, as a result, we are very interested in and we think hold a lot of promise, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about in the coming years. Um, one of those is very top of mind, I think, for everyone right now with respect to what's going on um, uh, with the COVID-19 situation. What we sort of call diagnostic analytics uh, is, is something that, uh, you know, clearly has a, has a huge future here. And what I'm talking about when I say diagnostic analytics um, I'm talking about moving from uh, a model, um, even in some of the most sophisticated healthcare environments that we know today, which is is collecting um, what we call vitals or or, or uh, medical information about a patient. We're recording that now, probably an electronic chart at least. Uh, but in a lot of cases, we're not mining that data um, to understand uh, particularly well what what might be happening in the future with that patient, or more importantly, what might be happening. Um, from an infectious disease standpoint, for that community or for that facility itself. And so the, obviously the COVID-19 situation has brought that home in terms of how can we anticipate, how can we get ahead and identify markers which are, which are leading us to an expectation that we are facing an enhanced risk uh, of, of the spread, for example, of, of a disease. Uh, and so there's a ton of work being done on that right now. Uh, Epic Systems is a company that's doing a lot of that work uh, nationally and internationally, uh, but a lot of players uh, in there. And really, we've taken the first step, meaning that we've moved everything into electronic health records by now. Um, but now it's it's how do we actually leverage that data to tell us what's going on in a way that human beings just can't do uh, from a processing standpoint. So I think that's really exciting. Another one I'll mention um, and then kick this back to you, uh, wearables is, is, uh, is, you know, kind of a niche term, and I'm, I'm the farthest thing from a technology person, so forgive my, my layman's terms, but in a long-term care situation, particularly for someone who lives in a, in a nursing home facility, in many cases, 30, 40, 50% of the folks who, who live in a nursing home have some level of cognitive decline, whether that is a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, another uh, dementia diagnosis, uh, uh, and unfortunately, for a lot of reasons we don't have time to talk about today, folks today are being diagnosed and in, in developing um, symptoms of cognitive decline much earlier in life, meaning that we have folks that are, that are entering nursing facilities a lot earlier in their 40s and their 50s, which really breaks your heart. Uh, but they're going to be living there for a long time. And one of the primary um, uh, 
things that happens with someone with cognitive decline is they begin to wander. They don't know exactly where they are um, all the time. Uh, and so if we can enable, for example, them uh, with, with a wearable so that not only do we know where they are in a facility, but in a worst-case situation, if they were to get to a point where they're outside the facility without supervision, or if they were on a visit with another supervisor uh, or a family member who doesn't do, a, doesn't do a great job of keeping track of them, we can not only track them down, obviously that's really, really important, but we can understand what's going on with their vitals. Um, at that moment. And we think that that's exciting, not only just protect them from a security standpoint, but to improve their quality of life, because it probably means that they can, t they can have more visits, they can probably uh, spend more time with loved ones outside the facility, as long as we can have a good handle in real time on what their, their medical uh, vital signs are doing. So the wearables, that has a lot of possibilities for you. Do you see that that uh, could also apply for in-home care solution, or are you thinking uh, on-prem stuff primarily? Uh, what's your thought on that? Absolutely, in an in-home situation. I'd expand that even from a wearables um, standpoint for in-home, because absolutely, where I think maybe perhaps where you're going from an in-home standpoint is, can we make sure that these folks are equipped with something that's non-invasive, but something can, get, can give us a really good handle on what their medical condition is in a, in a dashboard situation? Um, I'd also say, you know, one of the primary obstacles to being able to stay at home, which is where we want everybody to be. As long as you can receive care at home, that's where we want you to be. That's where you want to be. That's where I want to be. That's where I want my family to be if they need that kind of care. One of the primary obstacles is medication taking, right? So folks that have complex medical conditions typically have fairly complex medication regimens, and they can be very confusing, um, and they, they can vary in, in, in application, the way to take these medications, those kinds of things. Now, if we can develop a program which not only educates that, that individual on how to take their medication, when to take it, but monitors that they're doing it correctly um, is, is, a, is a game changer for folks to be able to stay at home. And, you know, I just caught my eye. I have no idea if this has actual applicability, but I saw the announcement maybe last week, maybe a, maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, Amazon has its in-home uh, Echo product that looks like at certain times and actually uh, uh, exit the the. Uh, the stand that it sits and fly over to an area of the home and record something, that's the kind of thing that, that, that I can see being used in combination with a number of other things to actually physically record to ensure that person is taking that medication at the right time uh, and enable uh, less, less visits from, from a nurse or a doctor uh, and enable them to stay at home. Those are examples of how you could positively influence the lives of um, our aging population or those people who are post-acute care. Uh, they require some um, attention and need. How do you think technology or how do you anticipate or what are you excited about as it relates to how technology could actually change the lives of healthcare workers, uh, the people who are providing the services, loving these people where they are, enabling them to get their jobs done well? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, I, I think that, you know, I think we all look to technology in terms of of how how can technology serve serve us serve serve humanity serve serve uh the folks that we're caring for in a way so that we can maximize our time right and, and we want caretakers that work in long-term care and healthcare in general to maximize their time by taking care of people uh and so if we can ask technology and develop technology to take care of a number of the tasks that are non-care centered um, that means more time for uh, direct care uh, for those residents. And, by, you know, for example, uh, things like sorting medication, that's a very, very time-intensive 
and right now from a regulatory standpoint really really requires human beings to be involved in i could see that going away with the right kind of technology and and making sure those nurses then are spending time actually helping that individual take that medication or care for them at the bedside uh, and those kinds of things and the other thing from a caregiver and, and that's what by the way i mean that's what caregivers want to do that's why they're in the space these folks are not in long-term care for the money or the hours. They're in it because they're a very, very special type of person who is a caregiver in their heart, uh, and that's what they want to be doing. Uh, and you know, again, when we, it's it's very difficult to put anything through a prism that doesn't involve the the current state of the world right now. We need to do we need to develop technology to to, to protect our healthcare workers in, in a better way. We've had fifty seven long we've had fifty seven individuals who work in long term care in Iowa die of COVID nineteen since February. Uh, that's that's certainly 57 too many. Uh, and those are folks that were, were doing their job, they were exposed to the virus and ultimately succumbed to it. Many, many more have, have, been expo- have uh, developed symptoms. Uh, and so if, it, how can we look to technology, again, going back to, uh, to predictive diagnostics and some of those other things, to keep healthcare workers safer, not only so that they can be on the job because we have a serious short healthcare worker shortage, uh, but their job can be more uh, fulfilling, more dignified, and, and doing more of what they were there to do in the first place. That's outstanding. And when you talked about the the, the analytics predictive uh, conversation, is that something that you, your organization, is explicitly pursuing and doing and implementing? Is that something that um, you anticipate all of the different facets of the world that you're living in, the organization that you're leading, would be leveraging as predictive analytics? The dependency, of course, is EMR, as you mentioned, but then the dependency after that is ongoing data collection as well. That's someplace you want to be, it sounds like. We are pursuing it absolutely where we want to be, uh, and, and we're working with a, with a number of partners uh, to figure out how this looks uh, in terms of a product category for our members uh, to take advantage of. One of the challenges and opportunities simultaneously with this kind of thing is you know, what pipe does this, does all this data come from? Iowa is a state that about 90% of nursing homes use one particular product for their, for their electronic uh, health records. Uh, it's a company called Point Click Care, great company. Uh, and so we're interested in products, obviously, that can interface with that particular system. So in some ways, little associations like us, we're, we're, we're somewhat dependent on on these folks figuring out how, to, how the, 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 the handshake works. Um, but we're working to prepare the ground, ground for our members for the eventuality of this, this kind of thing rolling out, I'd say, in the next, the next 6 to 12 months. Uh, and and it, I really think it's going to be a game changer. Um, and it, it's a perfect role for an association because our members are fighting a fire right now. They don't have time to think about the future, and we're, we're working to do that for them. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, too, was uh, the number of healthcare care workers um, that have um, passed away um, since earlier this year due to the pandemic experience that we've been going through, all of us. So a more difficult conversation, maybe contextual to that, is uh, dying with dignity. And, and my original thought on that conversation was, was as a customer, client, patient, uh, someone that your organizations are taking care of, it hadn't occurred to me to also discuss the healthcare worker themselves. Do you see, how do you see technology helping enable, well, that's a tough conversation, but how do you see technology enabling people to die with dignity better tomorrow than we're able to enable today. How do we help people pass through the other side in the most dignified way? And I think that 
that if we suggest that the technology has no role in that, that you know, we don't have our eyes open. One of the things that our hospice caretakers, our hospice nurses tell, and by the way, you want to meet the most incredible people in the world, talk to a hospice caretaker. These people are incredible. One of the things that they, they tell us routinely is that folks that are what, what they would say actively dying, so hope folks are, that are dying is a process. It's a biological process. Uh, for some people, it happens more quickly than others, but it, it's a process. One of the things that people that are actively dying tend to do is, if they're able to, if they have the physical strength to do, they will hang on until they get what our hospice caretakers would say, until they get permission or until they get the okay from the loved ones that they care about the most to, to, to pass on. And, and to, 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 and no one knows exactly how this works cognitively, but to, to make the decision to let go. And that's very, very difficult in a interconnected world where family members and loved ones, you know, more and more live farther away, are, are less able to, to be present physically. And so, um, and I'm not talking about a Zoom meeting to, to, of family members, but I think there's some amazing things that could be done. To, I mentioned 50% of the folks that are dying probably have some level of cognitive decline and they have memory issues. How can we, how can we help them uh, reconnect with their past as, as they're moving through the dying process? Um, how, how, can, how can we create an experience for them that's, that's human and real, but also enabled by technology uh, to, to, to leverage those tools to remind them of their past? I don't know exactly how that looks, um, but... but I think that certainly there will there we're, we're, we'd never want to get away from a a day where an individual is surrounded by loved ones as they're dying. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen for everyone, and, and so uh, for lots of reasons. And, and so you know, how can we probably address the folks who are having uh, the most lonely dying experience um, a little bit less lonely? I think that's a good place to start. So I suppose it may make more sense for me to say that technology is not a solution and that you're looking for to replace the human connection, the human care, the humanity part of this, but rather the technology that you're interested in enables the humanity um, and enables us to be more human with each other, enables us to focus on more of the contact, more of the experience, more of the journey. So not a replacement of people in order to provide care and not an automation of things uh, in the care, but rather to enable more opportunities for humanity, which probably then leads to more dignity on the journey. That's right. Uh, I, I think the technology, I mean, this is somewhat existential topic, but I, I, think, I think technology is with us and designed to serve us uh, if, if we do this correctly. And we should ask and design technology to do the things um, that that have the the lowest level of of human utility for us, um, uh, you know, delegate those tasks to technology solutions so that we can spend more time being humans with each other. And I, I think that a long term care um, healthcare situation is is a is a perfect example of uh, the kind of benefit that technology can produce because it, it would allow people caregivers. Uh, to be closer to their to the folks that they're 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 giving care and and less of those as you said less of those more automated tasks. It's an interesting conversation to have, and we don't need to get lost on the existential part of it. I agree with you. It's easy to create technology 
and it's easy to tell or communicate, hey, this technology exists, therefore it's useful. But it's a really hard conversation that people often, that may be lost in excitement sometimes when uh, people say, ah, this is interesting technology, but what's it good for? And those are hard conversations. So just because technology exists doesn't mean it's useful. And just because someone has created it and tried to sell it to you doesn't mean it's actually going to solve a problem for you. As it relates to your company and uh, the industry itself and in, in, in context of adoption readiness, you know, the pandemic certainly has, has changed people's perspectives on adopting technology solutions. Um, how do we rethink companies? Uh, how do we rethink operations? Do you think that uh, lawn care industry, how does the lawn care, well, I guess, how does the industry itself even find out about new technology opportunities? That, are you guys constantly forced to invent? Are you so busy that uh, you don't often get to see some of the newest ideas and figure out how they might be applicable? I mean, how does it actually work for you uh, on a regular basis? Um, how do you even find out that something's out there that might be useful? I'll, I'll be honest with you. Long-term care for many years has been, uh, I think, at the back of the bus when, when it comes to technology adoption. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons in a, in a state like Iowa where uh, we have about 300 nursing homes that are independently owned and, and managed, which means that it's a single facility in a very rural area. In most cases, it was built by a con collection of community members uh, who had the wherewithal to build a nursing home. Uh, and they don't have a lot of connective tissue to the, to the greater uh, sort of healthcare system, with the exception of the association. So we do see the association as, as a linchpin. Um, and as a, as a as sort of a a, a mesh to pass uh, these opportunities through, and so we have invested in the last few years at our association in in solutions to to bring and do a better job of of really vetting uh, vendor and technology opportunities that are presented to to members and be the vetting mechanism, and then pass that on uh, based on our our, our findings. It, that has taken a pronounced new role. Um, for us in, in the last a few in the last six seven months, um, because of the shortage, for example, of personal protective equipment, which you wouldn't particularly consider to be technologically advanced, but when you have you know hundreds of thousands of of new vendors coming online claiming to have a line on on this this critical equipment, we we've seen our, our role for the association to vet that out and make sure who's who's who and who who is is relevant. I would say that uh, with increased Look, there there are certainly downsides to to increased um, consolidation in any any sector. Um, one of the benefits, as more of of uh, the long term care facilities become uh, connected uh, in in families of companies, is that uh, there there's a little bit more weight. Uh, there's there's a little bit more technology focused uh, at at an at a, a a corporate level that's being pushed down to those those local facilities. But it's still really hard in a state like Iowa with a lot of small places. Uh, that are, if they're not relying on the association, they're just reading about it on the internet. So to some extent, it puts you in the position, you and your organization in the position where somebody has to be looking for and paying attention to on purpose. You may even have someone who, and that could be you uh, in the on, on your sleepless nights maybe, or there may be other people in your organization. They have to think about how to invent or innovate on purpose on a regular ba basis. Is that That's pretty much what you're saying, I think, is... This has to be done on purpose. It can't be accidental. Absolutely, um, it, it, we're you know it, it's a healthcare setting because it's long term post acute care. It means everybody typically has a fairly complex medical condition, uh, and so 
everything has to be done, as you say, on purpose, um, and 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 it can't be particularly experimental, uh, because not only because we don't want to experiment with with folks' medical conditions, uh, we haven't talked a lot about this. It's a fairly dry topic, uh, but the regulatory environment around healthcare um, is is uh, you know has the potential to be uh, a a net positive uh, for technology integration in a long term care. But it also has the potential to be a, a huge barrier, and, and so navigating those waters is a, is a, is another challenge. So historically, and for good reason, to your point, the long-term care um, industry has been uh, pretty conservative on adopting new technologies, new ideas. Not because they're opposed to new ideas, but rather, hey, first and foremost, we're talking about people's lives. And second, then, that probably suggests that your adoption curve is long um, on purpose. Am I characterizing that correctly? I th- yes, I think you're, you, you, you hit it spot on. But you do have to go find out new ideas on purpose. You do have to innovate, invent, or otherwise explore and test on purpose. But it's in a moderated pace because people are first and technology is supposed to enable. That makes sense to me. So... Different question for you is in organizations, since uh, the technology is changing, the need is changing, the desire to enable and equip healthcare staff continues to evolve, the needs of people you've mentioned, even with uh, um, different forms of dementia, has changed, the profiles changed, everything is changing all of the time. In these organizations, that suggests then that your risk exposure, risk profile is changing in terms of what data you collect, how much of the data you collect, how's it being handled, how's it being shared. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, too, is that, uh, for example, in the uh, in the system point-click care, one of the things that is a positive is, is if you're able to take additions or modifications to your operating environment and it integrates with point-click care, so your profile, your operational profile is continuing to change as we would all hope it would be, and it would be evolving as we would all hope it would be. Are you finding organizations need to hire things like chief information security officers, privacy officers? Have they already existed? Or do you see this changing now where there's a more data, privacy, confidentiality focus in the org and somebody's hired for it? Yeah, I, I think that uh, for a long time, organizations have had privacy security folks, um, large, and those are typically folks that are in compliance uh, work because you know the the dictates of, of HIPAA, so the, the 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 Health Privacy Act that, that we're all under, highly complex and really drive most decisions as it, as it relates to technology integration and, and and privacy protections. So folks have been in that space for a long time. I think that some of the the larger Companies um, that are that are perhaps a little bit more uh, forward facing, you are starting to see uh, chief information officers. You're seeing uh, chief security officers um, who are in that C-suite level, uh, participating at the same level as, a, as you know as an oper- operations financial um, uh, uh, type of, of person. But it's been slow. Um, I, I think that still a lot of smaller businesses, smaller companies. Um, are trying to do this with with the existing staff that they have. You know, I think that we probably run the risk um, not only of of an increasingly complex regulatory environment that's hard to comply with unless you really pay attention to things, but also missing out on some opportunities. Yeah, agreed. The profile changes a little bit. 
and the, to be a regulatory compliance focused individual is of course required and spectacular. So where is my organization in relation to where it should be according to this standard or this expectation? When you start adding more and more of the technology in there that forces the compliance uh, person to first acknowledge, but then second, either become savvy in what's actually going on in the technology side and or you may have to consider when you need to hire an addition, additional or different technology experienced person because it does change a little bit. There is a there is a technical regulatory compliance conversation as well as a general operational. And I'm curious if you've been seeing that or how you anticipate that happening in the future. The two seem to be the same, but they're, they're actually not. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. They're not the same at all. Uh, they're uh, equally important, um, but compliance is about complying with the now and complying with what exists. Uh, and it's, 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 a, it's purely a risk you know, a risk management endeavor. When we're looking uh, for folks to to enhance the technological profile of of a of a facility or of a of a company, we're naturally asking them to reach forward, and you know they have to collaborate with with those those folks in compliance and regulatory. Um, but you know, we we always even around here, we when we've got great compliance people at our association, we've got attorneys. Lawyers are going to lawyer, regulators are going to regulate, and innovators are going to innovate. It's just not the same thing. There's a lot. You have a lot of fun things to to work on and evolve and improve and enable and equip in a lot of organizations. You've mentioned a couple of times a small organization like yours, but you led this conversation by talking about the breadth of the responsibility, which pretty much spans the entire state of Iowa at multiple levels of healthcare as well. So I'm sure that there's an amazing reason why you say a small organization that could just be humility, but it doesn't sound small to me. It sounds pretty darn important and it sounds huge. So I'm curious, how could technology companies approach you or come alongside you to add value? In other words, if somebody shows up and says, hey, I have this idea, what do you view as a good interaction? What do you view as a poor interaction and they just shouldn't, shouldn't show up? A poor interaction is, here's a product I developed. Would you like to sell it to your members? The sector is, is far too, div- no, I mean, it's, it's very cliche, but, but no provider is, is the same. Uh, has the same needs, so that that's a poor interaction. We're probably not going to be very. We're not going to. We're not going to do a lot of, of work together. A good interaction is we're aware of this opportunity or of, of this challenge in the sector. And again, I'll go back to predictive or diagnostic analytics. We're aware of this opportunity. Tell us what your members are telling you, and and, and let us work on something and, and, and bring it back to you. Not because we're some kind of kingmaker, we're the farthest from it. Our members are voluntary, they can be members of ours, they can listen to us if they want. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but, you know, from a technology standpoint, and, and I think, Matthew, you and I, well, I appreciate your approach to this, or your philosophy on this, is that just because something exists doesn't mean it's good. You know, and we've made that, ex- ex- we've made that, that mistake here at the association just to operationally here. We've invested in technology that was a waste of time and money. And so, um, you know, it's very difficult to find the interface between technology and healthcare right now. That's absolutely changing. You know, I spent this morning, I took a few minutes this morning, I voted the voting for the top 100 
most influential people in healthcare by a publication called Modern Healthcare, which is like an industry uh, publication. You know some of the people that were on that list? Jeff Bezos, uh, the head of healthcare at, at Google, Warren Buffett, it, you know, names you wouldn't typically run into in a list like that. And so it was telling to me when I, when I saw those. So it's changing, but, you know, finding somebody who's willing to say, look, I know technology, but I don't know healthcare, or I know healthcare, but I don't know technology. Um, those are the people that I think can actually get work done. If, if, you're, if you're pretty dyed in the wool, um, it's probably not going to work. Are there any things that I haven't asked you that you think is important uh, to talk about or you want to augment or revisit anything in particular that we've talked about so far? You know, I, I guess the only thing I would add, it, because it, it, it surprises so many people when you don't think about long-term care until you need it, right? Like, I get that. Why would you? Everybody's busy. Everybody's got lives. When you need it is when you need it or when a family member needs it. And the thing that we run into a lot with, with families is how, how shocked they are at how complex the environment is, um, how dynamic long-term care can be, have the number of choices, like building a house. There ends up being 100,000 more choices than you thought, from doorknobs to floor tiles, you know? Um, and so doing what you can... Um, to begin as soon as you sort of have the feel, even if you have parents that are just starting to get older, I have parents that are starting to get older, start thinking about the kinds of decisions you're going to need to make as a family um, and, and getting yourself ready because it's, it's not, a, it's a very, very, compl- as we can innovate ourselves all, you know, into, into oblivion, but it's still going to be a very complex and very difficult uh, decision matrix for families. And, and so beginning to educate yourself about the sector uh, is, is something I would, I would advise. Certainly not everybody in the world to do because I, I'm realistic and everybody has lives to live. But if you have a reason to, um, it's going to be more complicated, more challenging, um, and more expensive than, than you expected. And, and there's a lot of resources out there to educate yourself. I just, I just encourage people to do that. If people wanted to learn more about you, your organization, and the services that you provide, where would they go? They can just go to iowahealthcare.org. We're, we're, we're an open book over there. Uh, everything about us and, uh, and, and a lot more for members uh, as well. But that's a great way to start, iowahealthcare.org. Brent, thank you for your time. This has been an outstanding teaching conversation. I very much appreciate it. Had a blast, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting, where Matthew serves as the CEO and President. If you need to find a more simple, reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit trility.io. To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you.